Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Arrow and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 187. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing, buddy? It's good. It's good to be back home. Um, you know, I've... I've been on the I've been on the road a little bit, been traveling. Uh, just got back from McGregor, Texas. McGregor, Texas? Yeah, McGregor, Texas. I've uh, never I've heard of that. Family there, but one of the coolest things is while you're out there is occasionally you know, you're just walking around. You hear this low rumble, this roar of these rocket engines. They, there's a there's a rocket testing facility there. <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> you know, and you know what rockets remind me of, Pete? Launch, 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 launch. <laughs> it's launch week. It, it is, man. It is definitely launch week. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is It is launch for, for vSphere, vSAN, and, and many other products. But, yeah, we're, and we're going to start pounding through some of these launches. Uh, and we're starting with vSAN because, hey, we love vSAN and it's a great product. And when we talk about vSAN launches, we can't do it without our, our partner in crime, our good friend, our trusted subject matter expert, Mr. Pete Keeler. Pete, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Pete. Hey there, John. And yeah, happy launch day. Yeah. You know, we, I, I love being on the vSAN rocket ship all these years because, you know, it keeps going up and we don't need any weird billionaires to get it out, out, of, out of the atmosphere. It's- <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we're going to we're gonna talk about vSAN 7 Update 3. So there's tons of content out there uh, on core.vmware.com. There's plenty of demo videos. Uh, and we're going to share links to everything. So this is not the uh, only place to learn this stuff. So Pete, no pressure to walk through every you know single update that, that's been announced today. Uh, but I do think there are some pretty interesting ones uh, that VMware customers would, would find interesting. So why don't we cherry pick a few and, uh, and chew on those and, uh, and, and see where it takes us. That's Sounds good. Where would you like to start? Hmm. Let's see. So normally the 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 update content gets split up into three main categories, and uh, and the first one I've seen, uh, and, and so this 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 launch I see developer ready infrastructure. There's tons of content uh, in the in that space, and so we can, we can cherry pick on that. Uh, simplified operations. VSEN is constantly enhancing operations. You know, enhancing the way that making things easier to do, and also you know performance enhancements, and so. Yeah, there are tons of little tweaks that probably wouldn't warrant an entire blog post uh, on why this thing is more fast or uh, more performant or supports better hardware. But but I'll, you know, I'll leave it up to you to tell us which ones you think uh, are probably the most uh, noteworthy. Yeah, most certainly. So I think you know the one thing that most of uh, your listeners can really relate to is. Uh, just the general operations of vSAN. So let's kind of start with that section first. And I think one of the things that uh, we want to share with the listeners here is the improvements that we've made around uh, shutting down a cluster for, you know, sort of maintenance activities, things of that nature. When we think about, like, let's say a, a traditional three-tier architecture, and you have a 
storage array, uh, that's fairly easy to shut down in terms of, you know, you have a, a controller head unit, maybe some shelves and all that stuff. You just have to make sure that the VMs are uh, powered down and you're ready to go. But with vSAN, it being a fully distributed storage system, yeah. you you have to be a little bit more mindful about the activities um, and the, you know, and the steps in order to make that shutdown fully graceful. So we've built in all new workflows that help guide that user down so that if they're moving in a cluster from one cabinet over to another and they just need to do some sort of a graceful shutdown, that it guides them through the process. And, and uh, it's a simple step-by-step uh, -step workflow uh, that they can uh, shut down that vCenter uh, cluster, even if the vCenter server is running on it, and then be able to uh, power it back up. Uh, I, I think that's that's been one request that we've had from our user base, and uh, with vSAN seven update three, we you know we hit the mark on that. This is something that actually reminds me of some previous consulting work I did. I remember a, a data center power maintenance shutdown, and also one for a, an array controller upgrade, where we had to basically bring everything dark in an environment and coordinating all the VM power offs, coordinating, bringing down the vCenter, making sure you do things in the right order of operations. Oh, and yeah. even outside of HCI world, there's, this is still you know a, a challenge that people sometimes have. And I remember collectively all of the consultants sitting around that day and making sure every piece of the data center went down you know, cleanly and came up cleanly. Uh, somebody paid a really huge bill, especially because this was like a Memorial Day for some insane reason. So you know, this is something that making this accessible, not needing specialty skills. I mean, there are steps to do this, there are KBs, but making this kind of a push button experience um, is one going to make this an easier process to do, but also lower the number of people involved, lower the need for specialists, and hopefully save some people some money and, and get their memorial days back. Like I'd much rather be at a beach <laughs> or something. Have yeah, the like simplified run book is going to be way better, you know, in this regard for that, because we, you know, there were definitely some steps that you would need to work through in order to do this process. But now, since we guide you from a, a product standpoint, then you don't have to concern yourself over making sure that, you know, each uh, detailed step, the UI is simply going to tell you. So you don't have to reach for that, you know, and... <laughs> blow the dust off that uh, that old run book that hasn't been updated in, in uh, two consultants to understand exactly how to get this thing to, to power on and have everything running. Yes, exactly. That's that's the problem with runbooks, and you know, it's it's one of the gaps that, from a, a product standpoint, that uh, many administrators can sort of work around. In that, that's how they, you know, make up for for some gaps uh, in some of their workflows. But we thought, well, let's just make this uh, a more cohesive experience where they don't need to think about some of these things. And so, on the power down, is there any tie between the power down and the power up? So, like when you're when you when you're powering down a cluster and, and you're going through through all these checks, is there anything uh, specific that we can uh, understand about what it's what it's doing and, and what needs to happen? And does it remember that information? So when the powering up comes up, it's a smoother process. How does that work? Yeah. So under the covers, there there is going to be one host that it's going to sort of elect as the uh, primary system that's going to understand the nature of the cluster, and this is going to persist once the once the entire cluster is fully shut down. Uh, and the host begin to power up at that point, it's going to understand uh, its role in that process. So, and that's how it handles the power up of, of a vCenter server and, and things like that, that yeah. then ultimately is that uh, pane of glass that most of 
the administrators out there will administer a vSAN cluster there. So there are some, certainly a number of behind the scenes activities that are occurring, but but from the visible administrator perspective, they you know it should be fairly straightforward. Yeah, that makes sense. So in the vein of powering down not so much clusters, but hosts, uh, you know, definitely a process that happens when we're, when we're doing lifecycle management. I understand there's some updates to uh, vSphere Lifecycle Manager. Yeah, so we we do have a few uh, important updates for VLCM. Uh, one is, is that, uh, and this really comes at the request of our users, which is uh, the ability for VLCM to be able to update the uh, witness host appliance uh, when you're running in a vSAN stretch cluster configuration or uh, two node uh, configuration. And, yeah. and this really sort of rounds out that overall focus on lifecycle management from a uh, cluster perspective, because we knew that on a, a traditional vSAN cluster, uh, VLCM was really good at focusing on doing everything that it needed uh, to do in order to get to the desired state. The problem was when you had these other topologies that were using a witness host appliance. This is where we now can have VLCM manage this for you, and it's going to do it in the proper order that is required for the actual update. So, you know, there's always that there was always that uh, challenge on, hey, should I update the witness first or should I update the host? And in yeah. fact, our guidance was different depending on the version of vSAN. Well, all of that's been reconciled so that now, once again, the product is focusing on doing it in the right way so that you don't have to try to remember. Yeah, and doing it, that's kind of the whole point behind having a you know, a feature like VLCM is that it's all being done together. I mean, you know, you're getting your entire cluster remediated to be on the same version to have that 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 level of consistency. And so just having that one off of the witness did never, never really made sense to me. I'm glad to see that that's been put into it. And like you said, there's no guessing in terms of uh, what needs to happen first. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah, there is one exception now, of course, if you are using a, if you have a, a two node environment where you are using a shared witness host appliance, uh, in that case, you'll want to manually update that. Uh, and, and the reason behind that is, is that if you have a large number of clusters, uh, we want to coordinate that activity in accordance to the updates of those, uh -huh. all of the clusters that the witness host appliance is serving that responsibility for. So we want to, uh, we, we want to make sure that it's, it's done in that manner. And so in those sorts of situations, that's where you would still update the witness host appliance manually. Yeah, that's and smart because you don't, because with all the different clusters using the same appliance, you're not going to be in a situation where you can remediate all those at the same time. And so therefore they're not going to be on the same version. That makes sense. Now, can you remind me, which do you upgrade first? You know, is it the chicken or the egg here? Do you upgrade the, <laughs> the multi-witness appliance first or do you upgrade the all the clusters first? So the, the old guidance was that you would update the hosts first and then uh, the witness. And, and now from, I believe it was vSAN 7 update 1 or update 2, we've made that change uh, to where it was always the witness host appliance uh, first after that. Now, um, you know, of course, it applied, those rules applied to the given version that you were on. So it wasn't like we just said, okay, this is a recommendation. We want to do it this way. It was based off of the given version that you have. So um, it just makes more sense now uh, yeah. that the witness host appliance is updated first. So you manually go update that. And what's nice is because that's serving, you know, maybe 64 clusters or something. You yeah. mainly go update that real quick. And then boom, you tell VLCM to go slam those 64 remote clusters and go patch them and, you know, go, go make a sandwich and come back when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the the other uh, interesting update that we've had with regards to VLCM is, you know, historically we've been able to be able to check and apply um, updates to firmwares and drivers for uh, storage controllers. Well, this excluded uh, some of the NVMe-based storage devices that, of course, have their own uh, built-in storage controller. Mm-hmm. Well, with VLCM in this edition, uh, we will also be able to uh, check for the firmware that it is using, and then VLCM will be able to apply uh, the appropriate firmware and the driver for those NVMe-based uh, storage devices that you have in your environment. And since the uh, popularity of NVMe has just uh, keeps rising and rising, oh, yeah. this is a really important step for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. NVMe is not going anywhere. That's for sure. It's so fast. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I do wish SATA would go somewhere and that's away. <laughs> a different place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> SATA is yeah. fine for a, a boot device. Oh, I think we need to get rid of tape before we can get rid of SATA. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. Yeah. All right. So another one I saw, and I, I actually uh, I've been reading up on this one for a while. I thought it was definitely interesting. Was the the enhancement to health check warnings and and the and the correlation, if you will, that really makes troubleshooting health warnings a, a lot easier. And uh, I know I can relate to that because you know I've been there. I've been in my environment where like, oh my goodness, I've got four, five, six different you know, errors, you know, where do I start? What is this related to? What's the quickest way to get this thing resolved? So let's talk a little bit about this, the new enhancements to uh, to the multiple health check warnings. Yeah, Pete, it's really worth being excited about. Uh, this is, I think you described it uh, quite well that many of our customers would run into where let's say there was a condition in a vSAN environment and they, they only knew it by looking at it within the UI and within the UI, within the health checks, they would have multiple uh, failures at that point. There would yeah. be, they, they would be triggered in some sort, but they're listed sort of in an arbitrary order in the sense that, you know, maybe they're uh, categorized by uh, a certain certain type of error, but that doesn't necessarily tell you the relationship between them. So what our engineering team did was they were able to build out relationships between each and every health health check alert that we have so that uh, when there is one health check alert that is triggered, uh, we will be able to see the respective uh, dependencies and the relationships with the other health checks. So the end game on this is that the user is going to be able to be able to see when there is uh, an issue what was the primary cause of that issue so that they're not trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I remediate the symptom when the actual root cause yeah. uh, was this other matter? And, and so this, this can come up like, let's say if you have a, a host that has a VM kernel NIC that was no longer configured or was accidentally removed or something like that, that can trigger all different kinds of things. But from an administrator perspective, which one do they choose? Well, it was sort of a you know luck of the draw on which yeah. one they would choose. But here now the UI uh, clearly shows that the primary issue in that case would be that the VM kernel NIC was not uh, configured on a given host. You know, I, I think back to my days in ops and you get this like dashboard of everything was all pretty and green. And then, oh my God, everything is red. Why is everything red? And then that senior guy would come over and, you know, you know, with his oversized coffee mug or chain smoking <laughs> or whatever they did back in the stone ages when I was in ops. And he, he'd be like, oh, this one right here, this is the reason if you fix this, everything goes green. And, you know, as a junior ops person, you're like, you know, how did you know that? And 
what's key about actually this root cause uh, system that's been implemented is they worked with a lot of the escalation manager teams within GSS, actually, so within the support organization, and basically tried to get an understanding for, hey, if this happens, what are all the things that's going to break? And which of these is going to be the root? And, and some of these also are kind of things that previously to verify, you'd have to go to a CL, like duplicate IP addresses. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know, you can go check um, cam tables or do ARPs and look for duplicate MAC addresses. But, you know, not every VMware admin is a full, you know, level seven ninja in the ways of, of how, you know, Ethernet frames work and is going to go look for that. And instead, just having something in the UI that pops up and says, yeah, I know this, so you've got hosts offline, but by the way, you've got overlapping VM kernel ports. Like this mm -hmm. is, you know, this IP is in use. Like, and you don't have to go to CLI. You don't have to know, run a bunch of commands, then compare commands on different, like, let's just automate that. Let's, let's take these things that previously you would have had to get some type of escalation resource that your level one uh, ops people, you know, wouldn't have necessarily known how to do thinking back to my days is that level one cannon fodder and, and, and make it to where there's a, a much more actionable place there and, and teach them a thing or two while it happens. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the, the parallel to, to the real health world is similar, right? Like doctors, uh, uh, you know, they, you go in and there's a, there's a problem and they'll start throwing medication at you to fix a certain thing as opposed to getting to the root cause. Uh, and I don't want to knock the entire um, medical uh, profession, but yeah, I've definitely seen that happen in the past where, you know, you look at, you know, Oh, if you have this, this medicine is, is what fixes that as opposed to getting to the root cause. So yeah, I think it's really intelligent when there's a system that can uh, do a deeper analysis and have some intelligent uh, algorithm that can determine true root cause. Another part of this that was interesting, Pete, was the uh, the new um, health history. Uh, and it's really cool to see actually the the, the timeline. Uh, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about the, the health yeah. history as well. Yeah, this really, uh, this really ties into some of the health history uh, features and enhancements that we've introduced in vSAN 7 Update 2. Yeah. And all of these work uh, together. So, so not only are you able to see the correlations that are occurring, but then you can see over the course of time when these occurred so that then you can really gain that better context. And that's the goal. You know, when we think about that list of errors that occur within, uh, that may occur in an environment with the health checks when something fails, uh, that, that question of which one do you go to first, sometimes, and we've all been there before, we look at the list and we go, which one do I understand the most and which one looks the easiest uh, to try to fix? But you don't know which one you should actually do. Yeah. This is the one that it should help you understand that this is the one that you need to focus on, not the one that you uh, comprehend the easiest or the one that looked, you know. It's the, always DNS, Pete. It's always DNS. We got to start with DNS. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So, so one question. I know this is new in U three. Uh, the ability to do these uh, this correlation. Uh, it, it does what if my hosts are older than U three? Does it work? Uh, no. So we need to have a minimum level uh, host level in order for us to understand the uh, well certain health check uh, conditions. We do have the mapping overall of what is what is occurring, what is not occurring in those respective relationships. But in order to get the full experience, you're going to need to uh, have the uh, the very latest and greatest. Which there should be no reason why you are not on the very latest and greatest for you know I given uh, some of the features uh, and improvements that we've been making. Oh yeah, we've supported asymmetric versions between vCenter and vSAN or vSphere for a while, but. Please don't. Like, just so many weird <laughs> things happened in the past, and I really question the QA on it. <laughs> hey, especially with VLCM now, just just upgrade to U3, right? Not too bad. Just just change the uh, image on your cluster and hit remediate. 
All right, cool. Yeah, so lots of cool things on operations, and I want to jump to the other section soon, but not before we talk about probably one other really cool one, uh, which uh, I thought was interesting, which is the trip analyzer. So maybe we can uh, maybe we can park there for a little bit and uh, and maybe get a better understanding of what that is. Pete, I, yeah, I, I want to divert you and bring up the <laughs> fact that the Matrix Four is coming out and why oh. that matters. Because what this feature reminds me of is, you know, if you if Pete and I are hardcore performance nerds. You know, other people see raw a bunch of random outputs in ESX top, you know, but we sit here and we see, hey, you know, a person in the red dress. We see, hey, there's a dude in a top hat. You know, we we the numbers speak to us and the relationship, you know, if you've ever spent too much time on Duncan's blog on yellow bricks, you've uh, trying to chase some storage performance. You ended up in this thing like, wait, all storage is, is just a never ending series of queues stacked on top of each other or networking queues or buffer queues or HBA queues or LUN queues. And Oh God, I'm going to run out of breath before I can go through all the queues. <laughs> like it really is just Dante's like 14 levels of, of IO held always trying to make sense of the and performance services. The performance service has done a good job of, saying like, hey, here's what the metrics are in all these queues. But if you don't know the order that the that flows in, you just be like, oh, latency is really bad at the at the DOM client side or, you know, at the client where the host is connecting from. And you don't realize there's 14 things behind that and which of those matter. And this this feature, again, bringing it back to the, the bad matrix analogy, this this takes the, you know, this gets you what, you know, Pete can do where he stares at the raw performance numbers and it all makes sense and it flows like water in his brain. And for normal people, uh, this gives you an output. So you're saying Pete's the Oracle. Okay. I thought he's, was that that tank? <laughs> I don't know. This, this well, analogy is reminding us it's been too long since I saw that movie. For the record, uh, most of the time, uh, performance is so elusive that it may not make sense really for anybody at any given time. So uh, with that little disclaimer out of the way, yeah, no, what John was speaking to with this this particular feature is, is that we help you visualize uh, the sort of that the stack or the path of the IO. And, and we give a visual representation of where the bottleneck may be occurring uh, for a given workload. And, and, you know, the understanding of what a bottleneck is and, and how it might impact uh, performance is really important for you to understand when it comes to uh, troubleshooting based on performance. In fact, I wrote a blog post out on core.vmware.com that helps you understand what a bottleneck is. So with, the, uh, with that in mind, what the VM uh, IO trip analyzer does is that it will tell you for a given VM decay, uh, for a given amount of time that you uh, run this on, it's going to help you better understand is the uh, contention or the bottleneck occurring at uh, you know, the cache disk or the uh, network interface card um, so that you can really, really better understand where this issue needs to be addressed. And then it's going to provide the supporting metrics that are going to help you understand not only the latencies, but the uh, standard deviations or the variability that occurs uh, within that storage stack. So a uh, really important, neat feature here that's built right in to vCenter. And it shows it like a, like, a, like a map, if you will. Does it show literally like, remember like that old, uh, what was that program that used to be in the thick client where it would like show all the connections for, for like a virtual machine uh, and, and where it had to traverse? Do you remember that? I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I'm trying to remember, Pete. That's a long time ago. John, <laughs> Wait, there was a feature. So there actually was a feature yeah. that like showed the VMs in relation to the data stores, and, like, yeah. you know, like an autograph. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was in the right. C Sharp client. There was a V you yeah. uh, in their endless amount of. Ranch alert! That would basically map your applications and like find web servers. Ranch alert! Ranch alert! Like, oh, it's not going to be a database. Ranch alert! Like, like, oh, I just have a couple applications. Like, no, you have 40 
And it was just like .NET to install. Uh, Pete, if you kept this and bleeped everything out, that would be... <laughs> I'm considering it actually. <laughs> that would be funny because that was quite a rant, John. Yeah, rant yeah. just so you know, I loved it. So yeah, he pulled over to no, the side. No, I mean, of the road it's, you, you and I. Here's here's the fundamental thing to tie this rant. Are together. we recording or are we? I mean, are you? Yeah, it's fine. You know, you might be able to clean it. You might not. But the the fundamental kind of rant is there have been a lot of products in, out in the world that have tried to do root cause analysis in storage and in networking and performance, and they all fall into one of a couple fallacies. Uh, one, they only work with our vendors' products. And if you buy, even if like, oh, you bought a fabric switch, well, you better bought it through us or else we're not going to monitor. You know, you kind of get this whole like, it works well, but it's a closed garden. Yeah. Um, the, I can monitor anything, uh, but I monitor nothing out of the box and you better really love SNMP, you know, traps and vibs and MIPS and, and like, you basically get to build your own. Here's a toolbox, go build a house, you know, like, uh, -uh. and then the third are like these products that actually can kind of have the tooling and have some stuff out of the box. Um, but they're basically built on a house of cards. There's some awful, like, you know, VB six slash dot net hack job that was written 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, you're trying to monitor a million dollars for the data center. Yeah. They're going to cost 3 million and you're like, but I can just hire people to monitor. Like I could literally hire one person for every metric to stare at, and it's cheaper than this product. So I like the idea of a product that has asymmetric visibility into the servers, into the drives, into the network connections. And it's this true. This isn't going to monitor all your application metrics. This isn't doing all that, you know, by all means, go go look for tooling there. But this is easy to use and this doesn't cost you anything extra. So I think this this helps get some some value here and, and also avoid going down some of the rabbit holes that these types of end to end monitoring typically fall into. Nice. So Pete, it, it, it has a visual of showing me like, you know, where my IO is going and, you know, if it's going to the cache disk or, you know, where it specifically is hitting and it, 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 uh, it gives me that visual in, in essence. Yeah, most certainly. So you choose the VMDK that you want to do the analysis on and it's going to start from the VMDK and work its way down. Mm. So it's really uh, straightforward. I really like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm a visual person. I love that. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I know there's more, but you know, we're not that big of a podcast. We don't want to spend too much time. We'll we'll defer to the to the technical blogs. But let's talk some more about some of the uh, platform enhancements. Yeah. So we have a couple of important ones uh, that focus on stretch clusters and the. Uh, two-node environments. Yeah. So the first one we're going to look at is sort of the uh, two-node arrangement. A common request has been when you have a, a two-node arrangement is uh, how can somebody provide a secondary or a second level of failure uh, in the event that you have a, a two-node uh, topology? And in that case, because you only had the two hosts along with the witness. Yeah, of course. So when you had a host failure, you only had kind of one copy of data. Now with vSAN 7 Update 3, we will be able to provide that secondary level of resilience. And this is going to not only mirror the data across the respective hosts, but then also uh, at your choosing, uh, mirror or even stripe the data if you have enough uh, disk groups within a host to the individual uh, disk groups. So there you're, in a sense, you you have local RAID ah, um, okay. for these uh, for these uh, two-node clusters. So think about this. You can have a two-node environment where you can, and especially when you pair it with high-performing hardware, this really resilient and high-performing arrangement in just 
uh, two nodes. It's a really compelling arrangement. So essentially what you're doing is you're taking the fault domain and moving it, or the failure domain, and moving it down to the disk group. Yes, exactly. And in, in a way, it's very analogous to what is done in a stretch cluster where you have that secondary level of resilience. But the secondary level of resilience in a stretch cluster are the hosts that are participating in it. Right. This is the disk groups that are uh, participating uh, in that secondary level of resilience. Nice. I like that. That's cool. There, there's been a lot of asks for this. And, you know, thinking just some of the use cases that drive it is if you've got thousands of sites or you've got sites that are on oil rigs or just tough to reach places. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's all great that, you know, I can get downtown Houston here. I can get a, a hard drive replaced in four hours or less without a problem, probably two hours if I yell enough. But if I've got some place that I have to use a helicopter or a ship to bring in spare parts, there are significant logistical, I mean, actually the cost difference between sending a helicopter out there to get an immediate response versus wait, you know, a week, week or two for the next boat to show up. Um, having a more resilient kind of battle hardened that can survive or multiple, you know, chained failures, that gets me in a position where previously I might've said, you know what, I'm going to go to a four node cluster to get that extra resilience and ability to have multiple hosts, you know, multiple types of failures and instead get much closer to like, get frankly closer to like, you know, a four host type of level of protection for half the cost. Yeah. But when you've got these sitting in, uh, you know, 500 locations over the U.S., that's uh, probably uh, a lot more expensive to do than just having uh, an additional failure domain inside your two hosts, right? Well, and it's it's actually a little bit better than that. So one thing to think about from a cost model is whenever you go from two hosts to three, you need a switch. And if you want decent performance for your vMotion vSAN, you have to buy a decent switch. And you know what people want to buy to stick in the back of a Walgreens or something? It's it's not a Paranexus 9 case. It's, it's, it's not. <laughs> like if you're lucky, you're going to get some, you know, Marvel cut down, you know, 10 or 25 gig switch. That's You're still going to be paying, you know, five or six grand to get a pair of those in there. And that's being generous with discounting. So, you know, when you've got these sites where we're talking about adding a couple thousand, adding a couple hundred dollars in a data center per host, that doesn't sound like much or a couple thousand for extra hosts and some switches in a data center, ah, you know, whatever. But when I've got thousands of sites and I'm adding thousands of dollars per site, like this is the kind of stuff that some VP is going to be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm just not approving that. Let's yeah. let's run that AS400 into the ground and not migrate. To, you know, let's 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 run that you know that compact server that time forgot, and let's let's just see how long it lasts. You know, the PNLs on this stuff get really ugly at scale when you start having to add. Okay, I got to add two extra hosts and two extra switches to get the. Yeah, versus let's just add some more drives. Hell mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's do that instead. I agree. Am I talking so- too long? I feel like I'm rambling, but I don't know. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. Cut me off. No, that's good. So the other feature that is really important for us in this release is the ability for us to uh, provide more availability in conditions where you have a stretch cluster environment uh, and where you have one site that is down, let's say for maintenance, and then you have an, an expected or unexpected uh, outage of the witness host appliance. Uh, and this has been a request once again from many of our customers who wanted to sort of emulate that situation where they have a stretch cluster environment and they have uh, purposely shut down one site for maintenance or whatever the case may be. Um, in those conditions, uh, it historically, it, it had always been the case where now you're really reliant on making sure that the witness host appliance remains up while that other site remains up so that you can maintain quorum and make sure that the data is actually available. Now what we do with vSAN 7 update 3 is once uh, one of the sites uh, 
is uh, taken down for maintenance, we actually will adjust the voting mechanism that we have in place for the respective objects. Mm. Uh, and that will help maintain the availability of these, uh, you know, all of the objects. Now, this is done extremely fast and and uh, transparent, fully transparent for the user, so they don't need to do anything. Uh, and then once the you know the site is restored or uh, brought back up, uh, then the voting gets restored back uh, to its original state. Oh, okay. So this is uh, when so there's, there's a, a proactive uh, maintenance on an entire site. We're not talking about you know yeah a failed uh, ISL between hosts. We're talking about proactive, this whole site is is going under for maintenance because those would be very different, right? We're saying like, we know that this is not going to be available compared to, oh, I can't see it because maybe there's a network connection between the two between the two sides. Well, you can, if, if see, it gets more complex when we're uh, talking about a failure because then it's going to be, um, if it's a double failure, we cannot save anybody in of that, course yeah in that case. The, the, the sort cap of cap theorem still exists yeah we still have yeah. split brain protection so that that sort of simultaneous arrangement this doesn't uh, protect for it's mostly for the the maintenance of a site and then a subsequent failure or planned or unplanned maintenance of mm. of that witness host of plants what i'm hearing here is you know if you've got that first site it's going down for whatever reason and at that point previously we would you know still been dependent on the witness there's a process that's going to run sounds like fairly rapidly but still separate so cap theorem doesn't rule its ugly head and we basically transfer the vote and the quorum handling to that site the one remaining site it's a uh, voter manipulation actually no that's that, yeah let's not <laughs> use that name but uh no this is we're but but this is cool though because this is something to where previously i saw people being like well can i ft the witness and so i'm like or, you know or is ha fast and i started getting to all these things and people started trying to do really weird stuff before and it was like this is going to cover 98 percent because the odds of you losing a site or taking a site down for maintenance and a witness failing at the exact simultaneous moment was very very low it's just that sometimes these maintenance activities hey we got to work on power it's going to be two days or something or removing that secondary site it's going to that's going to take an entire weekend we're no longer exposed to this one little witness appliance blowing up and taking out our other data center you don't want to be in a situation where this highly available design um actually creates a single point of failure that takes you down so yeah it's, it's a net yeah. net improvement. And this really aligns actually more with what the expectations of the customer had when they would introduce us a, a stretch cluster environment in their environment. It was more so that the, the actual mechanics of a vSAN stretch cluster was then they really better understood that importance of the witness host appliance. Well, in these cases, uh, we understand the you know the importance of being able to take a site down for maintenance purposes, but not be so heavily reliant uh, on that remaining witness host appliance during that time. And this this is really that effort to uh, help address that. And it's a, a fantastic improvement for for uh, all of our customers who are running a vSAN stretch cluster. So would this also work? I mean, we talk about stretch clusters, but we know the stretch clusters uh, close cousin, I guess, in, in topologies is the two node topology. Uh, would this also work on a two node? Yes, it does. In fact, so we since we apply the very same principles, uh, essentially at a 
two-node arrangement as we do a, a stretch cluster. When you are running a secondary level of resilience on a two-node environment, then this would apply. In those cases, it would do all of the manipulation there. Um, and then if you're not running that secondary level of resilience, you would still perform all of the vote manipulation to make sure that in those cases where you don't want to have one of the hosts up and then for some reason or, or, or another, let's say somebody pulled the plug to the connection for the witness host appliance, uh, things are going to still remain available. So I'm thinking about from a sequencing here, I could have a two node where I've got my three disk groups, I've got my local RAID 1 protection. I could have one host, you know, go offline for maintenance or fail or whatnot, that, you know, wait a couple of minutes, have it re throw the votes over. Then I could have the witness fail. So I'm down to a single host here. I've had two different things blow up. And then I could have one of the disk groups light on fire inside that host, um, lose a cache device or something. I'm still online after three different failures and three different hosts. This is like the equivalent of like a, a five host cluster. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is some incredibly resilient stuff. And I don't have, to, I can only, I can deploy this, which is two hosts and I don't have to go buy high-speed switches. This is, this is some incredibly battle hardened stuff. I mean, this is, this is more, this is more failures than I could even take with a two controller, right? Certainly putting one of those out there. So that's, that's a lot of resilience. Yeah. I like that. All right. We're getting, we're running low on time here, Pete. Uh, I know the last section uh, is in the cloud native space, the developer, as John likes to refer to as the uh, DevOps hipsters. Uh, I know there's been a lot of enhancements in that regard. So uh, let's just cherry pick a few uh, and then we'll leave the blog post for the rest. So why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the updates with uh, what, well, we could start with, if you want uh, DPP, the vSAN data persistence platform. Yeah, absolutely. So for the uh, data persistence platform, one of the most important things that we've done with uh, this enhancement here in vSAN 7 Update 3 is we've been able to fully decouple the, the updating or the installations of the DPP operators from the version of vCenter that you're running. So this yeah. is really going to allow you for these sort of asymmetric installs, uh, where you can, you know, uh, um, if, if there's a new operator from uh, one of our partners, then you can easily install it. You don't have to, you know, make sure you're running the latter version of vCenter server or something like that. So that's, that's I think, a really important step for us in, in this regard. Oh, yeah. I, I love this like app store for data services is what this feels like. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Actually, I just did a, I did a session for VMworld. It's, it's out there for um, for S3 compatible object storage on uh, VMware HCI. And uh, I did that with two of our partners in, in DPP, uh, Cloudian and Minio. And so, yeah, this is really cool. So for one, DPP, very cool product, the ability, and it's super simple. The ability to, to enable and start spinning up uh, object storage right inside of vSAN is actually pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. But, um, and then to pass off all the, the app resilience to, to the modern apps, very cool stuff. But I, I love the fact now that you can actually, uh, you know, cause before you were pretty much beholden to the version, uh, that they gave you that went with vCenter. And so, uh, you know, and that's the problem is, which is I, the irony of that is that, you know, we're talking about microservices based architectures where there's all this agile updating of, of new versions of software, but it's like, Oh no, you got to wait till the next version of vCenter for that. <laughs> That just doesn't, it doesn't align properly. So I'm really glad to see that uh, we can actually do new updates of their software and it's not dependent upon specific versions of vCenter. So very cool enhancement. Yeah, I think our partners are going to be equally as uh, happy on this one as oh, yeah. well. Cool. All right, what else? Uh, so next up is we have the ability to have sort of a site level availability for uh, Kubernetes 
uh, in a, using a vSANS stretch cluster. This was something that was, again, asked by our customers. We didn't necessarily support it, but now in vSANS 7 Update 3, we do support it when you are using an, ups, an upstream or vanilla version of Kubernetes. And so this is going to give us the ability to have the uh, persistent volumes, they'll be uh, block-based, but uh, persistent volumes be in alignment with the given pods that are running on the respective sites. And then of course, those being fully replicated for each, each respective site that, so that you have that high availability. Um, this is going to address some of the failure scenarios that, that uh, many of our customers were asking about. So it's an easy way for the customers to do it using the very same model that they already use uh, for their regular workloads. All right, cool. What's what else do we have in the uh, cloud native workspace? And then also we for vSAN seven update three, we are now supporting uh, read write many volumes for uh, vSphere with uh, Tanzu. Uh, and so the, the uh, basically human speak that is you know the NFS uh, based volumes. This is going to allow for these these pods to be able to uh, connect. Uh, to the very same persistent volume uh, so that they can share or interchange that data amongst these uh, containers that may spawn additional instances based off of load and so forth. Mechanically, it just makes for a much more efficient arrangement because you're going to be uh, perhaps using the same resource, the same data for all of these spawned uh, instances versus having uh, block-based uh, persistent volumes you know, within the uh, guest clusters. So um, this simply provides a lot more flexibility for, for our users. Help me out here. Didn't we already have this in vSAN 7 with file services and support for read, write many volumes? I do remember seeing some demos uh, from Miles on, on, on the ability to do that. We did, but that was for um, the upstream uh, Kubernetes or vanilla uh, Kubernetes. Yeah. This is focused on vSphere with Tanzu, uh, and this is going to apply to the uh, TKG uh, guest clusters, uh -huh. uh, and so that is so. Now we have that that uh, um, the ability to have either read write once, which is block based volumes, or read write many, which is file based volumes. In fact, Miles Gray, our uh, colleague, wrote a blog post shortly after. Uh, the introduction of vSAN 7 Update 2, I believe, and yep. it was asking the, or answering the question of, do, is this supported and, and why not? Uh, and so now this is sort of that follow-up to that. Apparently, the, you know, the PMs were looking at his blog post and said, hey, we need to support this. So uh, <laughs> this is now supported in vSAN 7 Update 3. I love it. All right, cool. The key, the key thing to know here is this allows your developers to, within the YAML, which is the magic elven tongue of develop, developer ops people, um, <laughs> they can they can speak the word read, write many, and they share magically appears versus the previous, and, and you know, and it's mounted to the containers and ACL'd appropriately versus the previous world before, you know, back in the stone ages when we, you know, dwarven you know storage admins would sit there and they would open we would say open a ticket ye heathens and then they would send us a ticket and we would chisel you know a nas share and then curse back and <laughs> forth as we got the export you know right for the access list enumeration and then you know they would use it you know hopefully and in and, and actually reality they would have to ask someone for help because developers don't know how to set up you know actually mount anything in linux uh, because they're developers and so you know it's this whole like process of infrastructure that had to go through all these teams lots of manual work and now it's just like hey they just write yaml it happens and you know i quoted their namespace so they don't go completely wild and steal all my storage <laughs> Yeah, well said, John. You made a, a few enemies the in Rings that description. There on that analogy, but <laughs> can you tell I was watching Lord of the Rings last night? <laughs>
All right. Well, I know there's a lot more, Pete. Uh, this, I think this is, a, this is a good way to wet the whistle of anybody interested in vSAN 7 Update 3. Plenty more out there and obviously much more detail uh, of the various um, features that we, we did discuss on core.vmware.com. Links in the show notes of the podcast. Uh, Pete, any, anything else before we take off? Any, any other closing thoughts on vSAN 7 Update 3? No, I'd say really just uh, stay tuned for all the new you know information that we're going to be sharing about all the new features. There's even some uh, some new enhancements are on the uh, performance side as well. I know we didn't uh, touch on that, but yeah. uh, stay tuned for that. You'll you'll see some really interesting things there. But uh, of of course, all of us are working hard on making sure that uh, all this material is ready to go. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Pete, as always, thank you for joining us. John, thanks for your your great commentary. And uh, <laughs> and we will see you on the next version. Uh, yeah. See you guys. All right. Well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at VMware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Mr. Pete Keeler for telling us all about what's new in vSAN 7 Update 3. We're back next week, but until then, 